Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Dr. Jerry Passmore is the former pastor of the Olive Baptist Church in Pensacola, Florida. He pastored there from 1972 to 1989. He's actually been in ministry for 59 years. Um, that is an awesome thing. Uh, there are a lot of people that uh, uh, find a way to drop out over the years, and I don't have a lot of criticism for them, but whenever I see someone who's been faithful for so very long, I think he said he entered the ministry in 1954. Uh, it is just a, an extra blessing to me. And along the way, he was the pastor of one of the greatest churches in the state of Florida, the Olive Baptist Church in Pensacola. He also was the director of evangelism for uh, the Florida Baptist Convention from 1989 to 2001, and uh, currently he is uh, with the Evangelism Response Center of the North American Mission Board, and uh, he is associated still with the Florida Baptist Convention. I am absolutely, absolutely honored to have him. One of my uh, dear friends uh, uh, first introduced me to Dr. Passmore, and that's uh, Ken Richardson. Uh, Ken Richardson came from Olive Baptist Church to this church many, many years ago. Some of you do not know Ken Richardson, but he served in the same basic capacity that uh, Perry Gaines serves in now and was so faithful to this ministry and faithful to me and, uh, of course, to his Lord. Will you please welcome, we are honored to have, Dr. Jerry Passmore. Dr. Passmore. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you very much. Well, it's a delightful privilege to be with you folks today. I've heard about you a long time, learned about you when Ken came over to become your uh, administrator at, at that particular time. At least that's the title that he had then. And so I've just had the desire to identify with this church. And man, when I drove up this morning and parked my car, I always like to come to these churches that have guests out there, guest parking. You don't have to drive around. And... Uh, got out and looked around, and really, I am impressed. I didn't have to come inside to be impressed. I was impressed outside, but when I got inside, I was overly impressed. It's just good to be here today to identify with you, and thank you for the opportunity. Your pastor and I really had met one other time, and that was briefly. They were at lunch, and I was with the convention, and Ken was there, and he uh, re-identified himself and introduced me to pastor. And I, this morning I was just anxious. I'd forgotten about what he looked like. And I had heard that coarse voice. As a matter of fact, the first time I heard it, I thought it was God speaking. I looked around. And, and, and it's amazing sometimes when uh, you, you think somebody's going to look a certain way, and then when you see them, that's not the case. Well, I'm not going to tell you what I thought he looked like. <laughs> I'm also glad that he practices what he preaches. I noticed he went down and sat with his wife. Amen. You're a good preacher. Now, I've never heard him preach, but I've heard him sing. I was over here. I didn't sing just to listen to him. Are you sure you're called to preach? Sometimes I <laughs> Yeah. We had a marvelous voice. You just, don't you just hate people who got all the ability like that? Well, it's good to be here today. And I just thank you for the opportunity. Uh, to uh, be a part of this marvelous church. Take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, John chapter 1. pastor was talking about my age. I'm 78 uh, years old, 
It's amazing how that when, you, when you're young, you don't like, you, you're anxious to get old. You remember that? Uh, when, how old are you? I'm five and a half. I'm five and three quarters, something like that. After a while, they, how old are you? Well, it's none of your business. <laughs> and then when you get old my age, you start bragging about it. I was preaching a senior adult day at uh, Fifth Avenue in St. Petersburg not too long ago, maybe a couple of years ago. And uh, so <clears throat> we just had a great time sharing with those senior adults that day. And I told them that I was 78 years old. And uh, <clears throat> then I left a little bit early. Pastor was doing his thing, and he asked me to go back to the, to the door. And when I got there, an usher greeted me. He said, did you say you were 78? I said, yes, sir. He said, you look like you're 98. <laughs> These smart ushers, you know how they can really put you down sometimes. Well, take it. you got your Bibles now at uh, John chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading with verse 35. Now, normally, it's probably in your church, when you read Scripture, we ask you to stand. But I, I'm just going to uh, use one of those uh, seminary words now, exegete. I'm just going to exegete as I move along in this, chap- in this uh, verse of Scripture or passage this morning. And rather than having you stand, you just sit comfortable and follow with me. And we're going to kind of share a little bit as we go. John 1, chapter 35. I think this is one of the greatest passages in the Scripture that identifies with what we're about this morning, being a viable witness for the saving knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you follow as I read. Now, John the Baptist is baptizing. Jesus was baptized before this particular portion of the Scripture is given. You look to all, all four uh, gospels mention the baptism of the Lord Jesus. Some of them are more detailed than others. But in this occasion, John the Baptist has been baptizing a little while, and Jesus has already been baptized when this particular paragraph is given to us. So again, now that tells us something, again the next day, John stood and two of his disciples. Now Jesus had been baptized before this, but he comes back to the Jordan River where John the Baptist is still baptizing. And two of the disciples of John are with him as John is baptizing. Looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now when you look into other, other chapters or books that identify with the baptism, you recall Jesus, uh, John the Baptist looks up and here comes Jesus. And he makes reference, he sees here, that Jesus has come for a purpose to be baptized of John. And John says, hey, Jesus, you got this as backwards. I ought not to be baptizing you, but you ought to be baptizing me. And Jesus said, I want you to baptize me because as it has been written. He's fulfilling prophecy here, another portion of it as he comes into the presence of John who is baptizing. So, of course, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Now, it's amazing that when Jesus comes up out of the water, uh, it was traditional in that day that after a person was baptized that they just hung around for a little bit and got some instruction and, and maybe a little bit more detailed as to what the significance of baptism was. But that wasn't the case with Jesus. He didn't hang around because after all, He knew what it was all about anyway, and he didn't have any sins anyway before he was baptized. So there was no reason for doing that, but he wanted to be on about the business of why he was here. He had straight 
to the Mount of Temptation. I, I've been to the Holy Land a number of times. Uh, now you don't go down to the exact place, so-called exact place historically, where Jesus was baptized. It's up in the Galilean area. But fortunately, right after the Six-Day War, uh, back there in the 60s, I went to the Holy Land, and we were able to go down there. And you just look in the distance, in the short distance at that, there's the Mount of Temptation. And Jesus comes up out of the water walking. Other folks came up out of the water. They hung around for a little while and, and they were given instruction about what had taken place and about the sins in their lives and what have you, having been forgiven. And now they're, they're baptized for a living example of what's taken place in their life. Jesus starts walking and he goes straight to the Mount of Temptation to endure the temptation of the devil for 40 days. Well, we know the story about that. So now Jesus, after doing that, we, we find that there are some details here uh, left out in this passage that we can find in other places as to what Jesus did. Now, of course, his earthly ministry begins upon his baptism. Now, what takes place there, there were some people who followed after, after him as he's on, on his way walking. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, John said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak. And they followed Jesus. Verse 38. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? And they said, being interpreted, Rabbi. And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, about ten o'clock in the morning. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Now, two of these individuals are the two individuals, disciples of John, immediately sense who Jesus Christ really is. And they become inquisitive with him. They begin walking with Jesus. Inquisitive, and they're seeking to know more about him. And obviously, two of these individuals, Andrew and that other disciple, and when that makes reference in the Scripture, is always the uh, Apostle John. Not John the Baptist, but the Apostle John. And so, in verse 41, he first findeth Andrew and uh, Simon Peter's brother, verse 41, he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Now, every time you see Andrew mentioned in the Scripture, he is about sharing the gospel. He is telling people how to be saved. I think that there are four times in the scripture that Andrew's name is mentioned. And without exception, he's pointing people to Jesus. I think there's a marvelous lesson there intended for those of us who are living in this 21st century. Listen, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And he was excited about that. And the first person he went to see was one he knew quite well. It was his brother, Simon. We know him as Peter. 
And he said to him, look in verse uh, uh, 41, he found, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he, Andrew, brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Now, these two individuals get saved. And the first thing that they do is to begin sharing their faith with other people. Now, Jesus just doesn't stop there. He's the example for us. You've got to be reminded, Jesus is never going to ask us to do something that he would not do himself, and he sets an example for us in doing it. Now look in verse uh, 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. It's very obvious here that Jesus, as he's begun his earthly ministry, He's beginning to share with other people who he is, what he's about. I'm the one you've been looking for. I'm the Messiah. And so he shares with other people. He said, follow me. Now, Philip was a Bethsaida. Obviously, Jesus led Philip to the Lord. Philip was a Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, Jesus leads Andrew and John the apostle to the Lord. Andrew brings Peter to Jesus. Jesus continued his witnessing and he encounters Philip and he leads Philip to the Lord. Philip gets excited about his identity with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's invited him into his life, obviously. And so he goes looking for Nathaniel. And Nathaniel said unto him, verse uh, 46, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip saith unto him, Come and see. The ball has begun to roll. People who get saved normally are the ones who are going to be the most viable, excited witness for our Lord. This is the example that is found in the Scripture. Now, obviously, Nazareth didn't have too good a reputation at that particular time. Nathaniel had some doubts about this. How in the world could the Messiah come out of Nazareth? But yet he did. Verse 48. And Nathanael saith unto him, or Jesus in verse 47, and Jesus saw Nathanael come unto him and said to him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Now this was an amazing statement from Jesus as far as Nathanael was concerned because he said, How knowest, verse 48, How knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before Philip called thee, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. This is one of those times when Jesus shows up and nobody knows he's around. Jesus knew where he was, but Nathaniel didn't know anything about Jesus looking upon him and know just exactly what he was doing. 
Jesus answered and said in verse 15, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. Now immediately our mind goes to the future in the heaven. It's maybe the millennium. And, and uh, when uh, we get to the Lord, be with the Lord. He raptures us into his presence and we're with him forever. And most people make uh, th- think that possibly that's what he's referring to. He, he's going to refer to that, but I don't believe that's now. As we begin to read in the second chapter of the Gospel of John, we find the first of those seven miracles that Jesus performed, uh, changing the water into wine there in Cana. In the fourth chapter, uh, we find the, the, the miracle that took place as Jesus was identifying with uh, the Samaritan woman. These are the things he's saying, listen, you're getting saved and, and you're understanding or hearing about my seeing you as you were under the fig tree. I was there and you didn't know it. Listen, you haven't seen anything yet. You're going to see these marvelous miracles that I perform in order that the lost people of the world might be able to know and see who I am. And man, were there exciting things that happened in the ministry of Jesus in the presence of Nathaniel. But look at verse 51. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, I believe he's making reference to that which is going to take place in the future. When once we get into the presence of the Lord, we will be in his presence for an eternity. And all the things that we shall behold when we see him and when we're with him and we become like him. Folks, I I just believe today that this morning, this is the passage of Scripture that challenges us to do something that the vast majority of the Christians on the face of this earth today fail to do. Here is a passage of an example setter in Jesus Christ, and those he leads to the Lord began doing the same thing that Jesus did, telling people about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad somebody told you today about Jesus? Do you remember that time? Do you remember the time when Jesus came into your life? Now, I don't know whether you know it this morning or not, but that's the greatest thing that ever happened to you folks. When you got saved, it wasn't when you had your first child, when you met your wife or your spouse, when you graduated from college, got your first job, got a big raise. It was when you have, uh, had your first grandchild. Those are great events in your life, surely. But the greatest thing that has ever happened to you was the day you got saved. Do you recall that? Recall the time when Jesus came into your life? I do. I was in the ninth grade in a small town of about 7,000 people in Hartsville, South Carolina, when the evangelists came through. And that revival just became a powerful time in that community. As a result of that revival, that church, and it was a day when people were not magnifying baptisms as they do today. Led the South Carolina Baptist State Convention in baptisms that year of 182 people. Now that's a small number compared today to what happens. 
But man, it got so good we couldn't stop. We're supposed to have an eight-day revival, and that's unheard of now. But we had to go through the next Thursday. I mean, people, the church was jammed and packed all over the city coming. One day, my uh, buddy and I, by the name of Ken Law and I, were with our other friends playing basketball on a dirt basketball court. Now, you know what that is. You find a level ground, and there's a tree, and you get your backboard and nail it to it. It's got a hoop on it, but you got your ba- a basketball court. We were playing basketball, and guess who came by? Here was that evangelist, Clifford Lewis. I know this home from my pastor. And he called my name, Jerry. I responded, yes, sir. I want to talk to you about something. And so he began telling me about the saving grace of the Lord. He shared with me how I could invite Jesus to come into my life. And so I leaned, my, I put my, my, my head in my arm. It was this basketball court. It was beside the house of one of my friends and had a, a porch around it and there was a banister around it. I put my hand, my arm up on that banister and, and I, I placed my head in my arm and I prayed the prayer that he told me to pray. I told the Lord that I was a sinner. And not only did I want to be saved, but I realized I needed to be saved. And I confessed my sins, I repented of my sins, and by faith I invited Jesus to come into my life. And Jesus saved me. That was the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. I went back to Hartsfield only the second time I've been back there since I graduated from high school in 1952. I went back there this past April for my 60th high school reunion. And I went looking for that house. I went looking for that yard. I went looking for that banister. I was so disappointed. That house had been torn down, but the ground was still there. I just wanted to put my arm on that banister one more time and thank the Lord again for the day that Jesus came into my life. Listen, folks, I I just want to, I just believe that when people get saved, they know something about what happened when they got saved. I believe they can talk about it. These folks who get saved by osmosis, I don't know that they've ever experienced it. you You don't go to bed lost and get up saved. You have an experience. You have an identity. You ask Jesus to come into your life. That's what happened to these people who were led to the Lord here. They identified personally with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible challenges us as his children that we are not to be selfish about that which we have experienced, but that in fact we're to share it with other people, but we're not doing that. Last year in the in the Florida Baptist Convention, we baptized approximately 32,000 people. We've got 19 million people in the state of Florida this morning. Of that number, the vast majority of them, 14 or 15 million of these people, do not know the Lord as their personal Savior. What a tremendous challenge we have today 
in our state alone to be sharing our faith. Last year, we, ba we baptized approximately 32,000. We were doing that when, I, when in my second year of being director of evangelism in the state of Florida, back in 1991 and 92, we were baptizing 32,000 people a year. And this is 10 or 12 years later, 10 years later, and we're baptizing that number again. Now, why is that? Because we have not heeded the Word of God that instructs us and challenges us to tell other people about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Proverbs, he who wins souls is wise. The Bible tells us in the Great Commission, we know that, we can quote that, we do quote that. It, 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 is, it is so uh, common to us that many times we just fail to understand. We quote it and we don't know what we're saying. Go ye therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. You know that. But we're, fail we're failing to implement that in our lives. When they therefore were come together with him, they saith unto him, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, Thou knowest not the times or the season which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power when the Holy Ghost hath come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. We know it, but we're not doing it. In Mark chapter 9, we find Jesus casting the demons out of this man, and he wanted to follow and go with Jesus. And Jesus said, no, I don't want you to go follow me. I want you to go home, and I want you to tell your family what's taking place in your life. We read in the Gospel of John that the, a blind man got saved and uh, there was such confusion among the Pharisees as what had taken place and, and uh, uh, it was challenged. Jesus or the people, the family challenged those Pharisees who were asking the questions, hey, listen, he was blind but he can now see. He is our child. Yes, he was blind. I tell you one more time now, if you don't mean go. He's a young man. He's old enough to talk. He'll tell you what took place in his life. And he says, I, I don't know. I just know I was blind, but now I see. And this is what Jesus did for me. And that was a command that Jesus had given unto him. Go and tell. But the sad thing about it today, folks, is we're living in a lost state. We're living in a lost community. Tallahassee's just as lost as any city in this state this morning. And there's a failure on the part of us as children of God that we're failing to tell people about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Do, do you care? Do we really care? Are you aware this morning that in Southern Baptist life, that only five out of every 100 Southern Baptists today have ever one time in their life told somebody else how that they could, could invite Jesus Christ to come into their heart. 
I can understand today why we're living in a lost state. Because we as Christians are failing to do what Jesus has commanded us to do. Listen, when I heard my mom or dad say, go, 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 that meant go. And Jesus tells us to go tell. Blind man, go tell. Demon cast out, go tell. That's a command that the Lord's given to us. You are to be witnesses unto me. That's our challenge today. Do we really care? Boy, I'll tell you, for these years that I've been saved, frequently I'm reminded again of that day when Jesus came into my life. I want to thank you one more time, Jesus, for sending that preacher by to tell me how to be saved. Have you ever done for someone else what someone has done for you in light of telling you how to be saved? I I just want to, I know we've got challenges today in the church, but I think the greatest challenge we have today is a need for people to go into the harvest. Matthew chapter 9, the Bible says, and Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when Jesus saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they were faint and scatter abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then Jesus saith unto the, the disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors of you. Pray ye the Lord of harvest, that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. I want you to know, folks, this morning, The greatest need, I think, for the church today is to realize that we are the harvesters. We are to be the ones who are to tell. We are the ones who are to share our faith. Do we care? Do we care if that child in our home is saved? Do we care if that person in our, in our Sunday school class or our group or our cell, do we care that they're lost? Do we care that those family members are lost? Do we care if those people we work with are lost? Do we care if our neighbors are lost? Where where do I get started? You get started where you are. Some of you can start right in your home. You might have boys and girls who've never invited Jesus to come into their life. Some of these kids are just crying out and you haven't heard them cry. I want to go forward and, 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 and shake pastor's hand or 
I want to be baptized. Or, that's their language. They're crying out, folks, and you, you're not hearing them. There are people on the job. You attend this church frequently. They know that. You claim to be a Christian. You lived a life that reflected that. They know who you are. But they're wondering, why has he or she not spoken to me about my relationship to the Lord? He hasn't even invited me to church. Oh, we, we become pacified and satisfied by the way we live, and I think that's important. God knows if there were ever a time in the history of this country, I think, when we need to reflect the likeness of Christ by the way we live, we, we, it's now. Wouldn't you agree, amen? Wouldn't you agree with that? But it's got to go farther than that. Somebody has got to tell. My daddy was one of these old boys who wasn't going to church. He's going to criticize anybody who did. My mom and I would go to church. We'd come home, my dad would talk, and most of the time he was talking about somebody at the church that did this or that and what have you. Well, in that revival I was talking about a few moments ago, my dad got saved. One day he was talking to me. We were sitting out on the porch of the house where we lived there. We had some rocking chairs out there, and he said, Jerry, I know that I criticize the people down at the church, but there was one man I couldn't criticize. His name was Anson King. They worked together. He said, I go in out of the factory, and he'd be down far in, he'd whistle at me, he'd holler at me, come up to me, but Shirley, put his arm around me sometime. He said, Shirley, why don't you come on to church? Why don't you come to my class? I, I'm the teacher and we have a great bunch of guys and you would like it. But he said, you know something, Jerry? He never told me how to be saved. And I want to believe today that that's what God is looking for in your life today. If in fact you haven't practiced that. If you haven't shared your faith, that's what he's looking for in your life. He's looking for you and you and you and you and you you and you to share your faith and be a witness. Two years ago now, David Burton, who was on my staff at the convention, when I left, he was promoted up to assume the responsibility. And he called me and he said, Dr. Passmore, We've got a new strategy that's been developed by the North American Mission Board. Now, you support the North American Mission Board as you give your cooperative, your offering, a portion of your offering goes to the cooperative program, and the cooperative program uh, promotes or supports the International Mission Board and the, and the North American Mission Board. Of those two boards, we've got about 11,000 uh, missionaries around the world. And so, a portion of that came out of the North American Mission Board, the evangelism section came out, this strategy called the Evangelism Response Center. You remember back under the change of the century when everybody was afraid that the computers were going to shut us down? Remember that? We didn't know whether we'd wake up the next morning or not, where we'd be able to live because everything was closed down. Well, one of the guys by there by the name of Ravi, he's from India, 
He thought, he came up with the idea, the Lord gave it to him, of giving a telephone number. And they published that telephone number, an 888 free telephone number, all over the country. If you have a problem here about what's about to occur, we think, give us a call and we'll help you. And we called it the Spiritual Helpline. We had over 15,000 calls to come in over that line back there at the change of the century. Well, he followed up on that, and he said it worked. He said, there are people all over the country that have a spiritual need, and a bunch of them need to know the Lord, and they want to know how. So they developed the spiritual helpline, and it's a 388 number that's all over this country, and people can call in, and when they call in, the phone rings up in Atlanta, and Atlanta then directs that call to the person we call a telephone encourager who has gone online. Now, this is not computer stuff. This is just telephone stuff that they've connected to the system, and they're ready to receive the call. So I'm online, and I, call, I say, hello, my name is Jerry. Thank you for calling the spiritual helpline. How can I help you today with your spiritual need? And they're going to say, I just want to know how to be saved. And lo and behold, you don't have to convince them they need to be. They, they, that's the reason they've called. Amen. And you tell them how they can invite Jesus to come into your life, in their life. Now that's what we're about this afternoon at 3 o'clock. We're going to meet over in the other building at 3 o'clock. We're going to come together. Pastor's going to take charge, lead us in prayer, and he's going to give it to me. And I'm going to train and teach you for about an hour. Then we're going to have a little break. Those of you who come back after the break, we're going to sign you up to become a telephone encourager. Now, we are also answering the phone for the Billy Graham Association. Now, when we started doing that, folks, I want to tell you the phone started ringing. Amen. I went online, and I get information from the North American Mission Board as to when Billy Graham is on television somewhere in this country. And so it just so happens that normally every Thursday afternoon at 4 o'clock, because he's on television somewhere around the country, I go online to receive calls. Well, several weeks ago, I went online at that time. I got 10 calls in an hour and 15 minutes from people calling as a result of watching Billy Graham, and they had spiritual needs. The next week, I went online. Same time, I got four calls. But the only reason I got four calls was because I led three of those four people to the Lord, and it took me a little bit of time. Amen. And I didn't have to convince them they needed to be saved. The hardest thing about being a soul winner is convincing people they need the Lord. Well, that's the reason they're calling. Now, here's something that you have to understand. I got a letter from Dr. Ravi just about two or three weeks ago now. He said 20% or less of the calls that are coming in are being answered. That means 80% of the calls that are coming in with a spiritual need are not getting a response because us Baptists and other denominations as well obviously just don't care. Do you care? You say, but I don't know how. Well, listen, I, I, I just heard by the grapevine some time ago that you folks were real, real strong in faith. Amen. There are all kind of people in this church, I would assume, that have gone through faith. You can tell people how to be saved. 
Now, if you've never done it before in your life, if you can read, I'm going to teach you this afternoon how you can tell people how to be saved. Don't use the excuse, I've never done it. Well, most folks haven't. (laughs) Don't use the excuse, well, I don't know what to say. I'm going to teach you what to say. And we're going to do it in a brief period of time. I'm just asking you today, would you give God a chance to do a work in your heart about telling other people about what somebody told you when you got saved? I just want to challenge you. Jesus set the example. Those early disciples set the example. The Bible's filled with passages of Scripture that challenge us, that tell us that we need to be doing this. And I trust that you'll let the Lord, I'm just asking you, give God a chance. You'll have to make that decision. As a matter of fact, I'm going to teach you for about an hour, then I'm going to give you about a five-minute break. Some of you are going to say, well, this isn't for me. There might be uh, things that just prohibit you from doing that. I understand that. I had a man, I was at a church in South Central Florida not too long ago. He came up to me after the hour. He says, he's a very faithful person in the, in the church, uh, leader in the church. He says, preacher, in this recession, I'm just fall to, I'm working four jobs right now. When I'm home and answer the phone, I'm asleep. I think that's a legitimate reason, wouldn't you? <laughs> There's some people who've got a good reason, not just an excuse, but a reason. I know that. Well, if that's the case with you, after the break, you don't have to come back. Those of you who feel impressed to come and become a telephone encourager, and you don't have to go outside your home. Man, this is the easiest method I've ever known in my life, man. Sit home in the comfort of my home and just answer the phone, tell people how to be saved. I can tell you some stories too, man. Would you give God a chance? Now I'll tell you, I've never taken for granted when I preach to a church this size and much smaller that everybody in here is saved. It could be this morning that there are a number of you folks who've never invited Jesus to come into your life. Let me just share with you a method that I use sometimes on the telephone to tell people how to be saved. It's called the old Roman road. Listen to me carefully if you don't know the Lord. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now the preacher said in the past, all means all, and that's all all means. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You've never been saved, you're lost. You're a sinner today by choice. When you're born, you're born into a sinner. But after a while, you get old enough to realize God has a purpose for your life, and you don't choose it, and then you become a sinner by choice. And so today, you're a sinner by choice. And the Bible says in Romans 4, 25, he was delivered for our offenses, and he was raised for our justification. That means he was placed on the cross for all of our sins, our offenses. And he was buried and raised up for our justification, just as if we'd never sinned if we invite Jesus into our life. 
Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That means what you get as a result of continuing sin is eternal separation from God. Romans 10, 9, and 10, I call this the Siamese twins of the scripture. The Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth Confession is made unto salvation. You know what that means? That means that we have to come to a place in our life where we realize that we're a sinner and we repent of our sins. We confess with our mouth, Lord, I'm a sinner, but I want to be saved. And then we invite him into our life. Romans 10, 13, whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's all you need to do this morning. Realize that you're lost and only Jesus can save you. Believe that he died just for you. Invite him into your life. Call upon him. Whosoever calls upon him. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray, lchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.